0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to week two of this uh, journey that we're taking together as a church called No Greater Love. And if you were with us last week, you know, we're exploring this connection, this link between love and sacrifice, and that's kind of an interesting concept in our culture because we typically think of love as an emotion, a certain way we feel about another person. But what we have discovered is that real love is so much deeper than just a feeling, that love at its heart is a verb, it is an action we take. See, love's not just how we feel about somebody, love is what we are willing to do for somebody. And the best way to express love is to be willing to serve and sacrifice on behalf of another, to to sacrifice our own needs, our own desires, our own plans in order to meet the needs of people around us. And, you know, Jesus sort of connected the dots between sacrifice and love in these powerful words from John chapter 15. Jesus said there is no greater love than to lay down, to sacrifice one's life for one's friend. In other words, the, the greater the sacrifice, the deeper the love that is expressed. And so, if you are a Christ follower, and I'm not assuming that everyone here is a Christ follower, but for those of us who are, since our lives are to be marked by a heart of love, that as believers, love should be the hallmark of who we are and how we live, then by default, that means that sacrifice must become an essential part of the way we live our lives. So last week we kind of kicked this thing off by just doing an overview of this concept of sacrifice. And and we discovered that while sacrifice cost us something, there are incredible benefits when we do it. There are intangible and even tangible ways that we are blessed when We sacrifice. And so now, for the next five weeks, each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at examples of people from the pages of the Bible who were willing to make extraordinary sacrifices in order to obey God and to demonstrate His love to others. And today, we're going to kick it off by looking at what for me is probably one of the most interesting and maybe one of the most confusing events in the entire Bible. And it's actually found in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis chapter 22. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there. We're gonna be walking through these first 18 verses at this remarkable story about Abraham. Abraham. Now, one of the things I love about Cedar Creek Church is we have people from all different backgrounds and walks of life and people at different places in their faith journey. Some of you have been a part of the church for decades and you've, you know, you've been studying and reading the Bible for years. For some of you, this is your very first time ever connecting with a church. And you've never really heard about or known about or read the Bible. And so you hear the name Abraham and you're thinking, I know that guy. That's the guy that freed the slaves, right? No, this is a different Abraham, an earlier Abraham. This is the Abraham that that Abraham was named for. And interestingly, half of the people on the planet point to this earlier Abraham as being a man of great faith, a godly man. It's not just Christians, but Muslims and Jews all point to Abraham as being sort of the founding father of their faith. And I believe this event we're going to look at today is a big part of the reason why so many people call him a man of faith. Interestingly, Abraham's journey of faith with God started really late in his life. He was probably in his maybe 60s or 70s. He had a pretty good setup in his life. Abraham was part of a very wealthy, influential, and well-established family in the ancient world. He had almost everything you could ever want, privilege, protection, security. He just he was part of a great setup. One, one little exception in that culture Uh, having children was huge. It was an important thing because you wanted to leave a legacy. You wanted your name to be remembered long after you were gone. And the way you did that was through your children. And unfortunately, Abraham and his wife Sarah were unable to have any children. And now they're kind of in their old age. But other than that, life's pretty good for Abe until one day God shows up and says, Abe, I want you to pack up, take your wife, Sarah, and I want you to leave all of this security, all of this known stuff that you have in life, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Imagine that. Leaving everything you know and then going where? Well, you'll know when you get there. I'll let you know when you get there. And remarkably, Abe takes God up on that. And because of his willingness to do that, to have that kind of faith, God tells Abraham that you are going to be the father of a mighty nation. Your descendants are going to be like the sand on the beach, like the stars in the sky. People are going to talk about you for the rest of human history because I'm going to bless you and Sarah with a child, which sounds beautiful until you realize that they're like 90 years old now, right? Imagine that. Your, your, your friends are all going out buying Depends, and you're having to buy Pampers, right? In fact, they name this son Isaac, which, by the way, means laughter, right? Because God has an amazing sense of humor. And so they have this beautiful baby boy, this promised child, this blessing from God. Now we're going to fast forward a few years, and this Isaac is no longer a baby. He's a young boy, probably somewhere between 10, maybe 15 years old. We we don't really know exactly how old he is, and that's where we pick up this story. Now I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Those of you that are regulars here at Cedar Creek know usually We just take a couple of of scripture, a couple of verses, and kind of unpack them. But I'm going to read to you this entire story. But I'm not going to put the verses up on the screens. I don't want you to look at your Bible or Bible app. I just want you to kind of enter in to this event. Just use your imagination. Put yourself in this story. Now, it's kind of long. It's a lot of verses. So do what you got to do to stay awake. Swig some caffeine, elbow your neighbor, slap yourself in the face, whatever you got to do. But here we go. Genesis chapter 22, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there, this child, sacrifice this child as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Now we're not told what happened that night between being told to sacrifice this child and getting up and leaving the next morning, but you got to imagine how difficult that night was. Probably didn't get any sleep. And he placed it on his son, Isaac, which any good dad would do, right? Make the kid carry the load. And he himself, Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Pretty perceptive kid, right? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. Now I just have to tell you, when I was a teenager and read that story, the first time I kind of really understood it, I thought, "What, what kind of sick, twisted God would give a man a son and then ask him to sacrifice that son. It it doesn't make any sense. But I can tell you now as, you know, having spent years reading and studying and being a part of God's family and reading his word, I realize now, see, this is not just some weird, isolated story from the ancient world that this one story is part of millions of stories, one big story that God is writing across the pages of history. You know, I think another thing that is hard for us to understand about this story is this idea of sacrifice, shedding blood as an act of worship, right? We don't do that in our culture. You know, now we, we don't build altars and set a fire with wood and then slaughter an animal and put that animal, the meat of that animal, on that fire to sacrifice. When we do that, we call it a barbecue, right? Not, not a, an act of worship. Now, child sacrifice was not a part of the Jewish culture. This was completely different. Normally, it was just a goat or a sheep or a lamb. But here's the thing you need to understand. Abraham had plenty of lambs, but he only had one son. See, this is a story about priorities. It's about what's most important to us. Because think about it. Put yourself in Abe's shoes, right? How easy would it have been for Abraham to love this gift more than the giver of that gift? Right? How easy would it have been for Isaac to become an idol to Abraham? And so today, I don't want to just teach you about a Bible event. I want us all to make this personal. So here's my question to start with this morning. What's your Isaac? What is that thing that you least are willing to give up? What is that thing that you hold on to Tightly, Maybe it is your, your children or your spouse or your family. Maybe it's your financial resources, your retirement nest egg. What, whatever it is, what is it that you are holding on to so tightly that is causing you to miss something even better that God has in your life? Because whatever your Isaac is today, I think there are some practical lessons all of us can learn from A. Lessons about the sacrifice of obedience, right? Because if love requires sacrifice, how do you make that sacrifice? When it doesn't make sense. Because I can tell you, if you follow Jesus long enough, there will be times when he calls you to love others in ways that just don't make sense. He will call you to love in ways that will require obedience over understanding. And in those moments, there's four things Abe has to teach us. So let's jump in. Number one, the first thing we need to understand about the sacrifices of obedience is that I have to be quiet and listen. I have to be quiet and listen. You know, I think maybe the most missed aspect of this whole event is how it got started. What was it that moved Abraham to this huge step of obedience? But it's found right there in verse 1. Look at what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Two things I want you to notice. God called. And secondly, Abraham heard that call and he responded to it. Now look, I wasn't there. I don't know if he heard God's audible voice or if it was just something internally. I don't know how God spoke, but I know Abe had to be listening in order to hear it. Because being quiet and listening go hand in hand. You have to be quiet to listen, not only in our relationships with each other, but that's especially true in our relationship with God. In fact, that's why I put this verse from Psalm 46.10 in your notes. It says, be still and know that I am God. In fact, some English translations say, be quiet and know that I am God. So when was the last time you were quiet and listening for God's voice? And when I say quiet, I mean completely quiet. No background noise. In complete silence. When's the last time you've sat in complete silence in the last 24 hours? I would imagine probably not much, maybe none for most of us, because we're constantly surrounded by noise. We wake up to noise every morning. You know that sound? I can see the frown on some of your faces, right? And then what do we do? First thing we do, we get up, And we flip on more noise. And then we get ready, and we get in our car to go to work, and we're surrounded by music noise or podcast noise. And then we get to work, and it's noisy all the time. Everybody talking, all kinds of noise constantly. And then we come home to Fox News noise or Facebook noise or CNN noise. And then we want to escape all that noise, so we go out to take a walk. And what do we do? We put noise buds in our ears to have more noise, right? And then we come home and we've downloaded nature noise to help us fall asleep. It's nuts. It's crazy how much noise is a part of our lives, right? I mean, we are, I was gonna say we're addicted to noise. I don't think it's we're addicted to noise, but I'm wondering If maybe we aren't afraid of the silence. Because when you sit in silence, you're stuck with your own thoughts. And many of us, it's uncomfortable. Silence is uncomfortable for us. See what I mean? But that was 10 seconds, right? It felt a whole lot longer than that, didn't it? And yet, as uncomfortable as we are with silence, it's essential that we build that into our lives to hear from God. See, maybe the reason you're not hearing from God is because you've drowned out that still, small voice of God. Now, I recognize for some of you, this idea of God wanting to talk to you is mind stretching. You're like, yeah, maybe that's for like super spirit, spiritual people. Yeah, maybe God wants to speak to them, but, but I'm not a spiritual person. Yes, you are. You're created in God's image, and He created you to be in a personal relationship with you, and He wants to speak to you. Now look, I'm not talking about the audible voice of God. I've been following Jesus for 40 plus years and I've never once heard the audible voice of God, nor do I know any credible people who have told me they have heard the voice of God. I'm not saying God can't speak that way. I'm just saying that's not an experience that I have had or anybody really that I know has had. But I do hear God's voice. I can hear his voice when I read his word. When I engage with God's word, I I hear him speaking to me. Another way you can hear God's voice is through his spirit. If you're a Christ follower, God has put his spirit in you. Why would he do that if he didn't want to communicate to you through his spirit? In fact, that's what Jesus said in John 16. When he was returning to heaven, he said to his followers, I'm going away, but the Comforter is coming, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth. How could he guide you without speaking and communicating to you? And you say, well, Philip, how does he do that? Well, it's really hard for me to describe it. Probably the best word, it's not a great word, but the best word I can come up with of hearing God through his Spirit is the, is the word promptings. Sometimes there are just these inner promptings from God where it's just almost like I can hear God's voice saying, you need to stop and go over and talk to that person. Or God will bring somebody to my mind, somebody maybe that I haven't seen in a long time, and I'll just hear God's voice say, you know, Philip, you might want to call and check on them. And the reason I know it's God's voice is because every time I follow that, it is obvious that it is a God-ordained encounter, that that person needed something or that I needed something from that person. This this may be tough for you to hear. Look, I don't mean this in a hurtful way, but I'm just saying if you're a Christ follower and you're not hearing from God, you're probably just too noisy. And sometimes that noisiness is translated into busyness. And the sacrifice of obedience starts with being quiet and listening for what God has to say to you. And then number two, the second thing we have to do is we have to neglect what's natural. We have to neglect what's natural. And what I mean by that is we have to neglect what is natural to me. And you know what's natural to me? Me. What I want. See, it's not just hearing God, what God calls us to do. It's being willing to do it. And it is almost always cuts against the grain of my desires to do the things that God calls me to do. And expressing love to others by sacrificially serving them is not natural for anyone. There aren't some people who are born with a serving heart and other people who are born with a selfish heart. We all have selfish hearts. And we'll struggle with that every day until we're no longer on this planet. And so we have to be intentional about letting go of what's natural to me, all about me, and grasping hold of what God wants in our lives. And the reason I know you got to neglect what's natural because that's what Abe had to do. Notice verses three and four. It says early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance. Did you catch that? On the third. It is a three day journey. Imagine being Abe. This beautiful child that's a blessing and a promise from God means the world to you and to your wife and to your future, your legacy. And you're walking every day for three days with this little boy, reminded of about, of about what's about to be taken from you. Imagine three nights on the road. Imagine Abe didn't sleep very well. My, my point is, what would be natural for Abe would be to stop, to to turn around to say, no, I'm not gonna do it. Or at the very least, to bargain with God, right? Those of you that know the Bible know there's a time earlier in Abraham's life when he bargained with God over the city of Sodom and God actually adjusted his plans because Abe asked him to. And so why, why would Abe do that to save a city full of strangers and not at least be willing to bargain with God for the life of his son, right? I mean, if I'm Abraham, I'm like, come on, God, really? Isaac, I mean, I already did that circumcision thing for you and that was tough, right? Can we just come up with a secret handshake or something? I really have to sacrifice my son to follow you? I think maybe the reason Abraham didn't bargain this time because he had another experience earlier, a time when, when he grabbed the reins and became impatient with God because it was 25 years between the promise of a son and the birth of Isaac. And at some point in that 25 years of waiting on God to come through with his promise, Abraham decided to take matters into his own hand and slept with the servant of his wife. And he had a son, only it wasn't the promised son. Son named Ishmael. And if you know your history, you know the chaos that choice Abraham made had not only on his family, but a chaos that continues to happen in our world today. So maybe maybe Abe learned to trust God and trust his own desires a little less. I guess my point is obedience to God, it's not mysterious, but it is hard. It's hard. And yet Jesus said it is the key to following him. Look at John 14. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings, And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That's pretty straightforward and clear we're going to live a life following Jesus, then that means we're going to have to live a life of love, lived out in obedience to God that requires sacrifice of what is natural to us. See, God has called us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love the people around us in practical and tangible ways. We talk about it here at Cedar Creek as being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community, our nation, and the world. And so here at Cedar Creek Church, one of the ways we love our neighbors is through our local partners. There's so many needs in our community, and rather than us just trying to go out on our own as a church and try to work in all these areas, We just look for incredible godly individuals and organizations in our community that are on the front line serving, hurting people in so many different ways. And then we just come alongside and partner with them. We serve alongside them and we help support their work financially. I don't know if you know this or not, but every time you give, to the mission and vision of Cedar Creek, that sacrificial gift you make, a part of it goes to support these incredible local faith-based organizations that are doing kingdom work around us. And you know better than I that that takes sacrifice. You have to neglect what's natural to spend your time serving in the community rather than spending your time doing what you want to do. You know you have to sacrifice financially using your money to do what you want to do in order to give it to make a difference in someone else's life. And while it's not easy, I can tell you those sacrifices of time and of resources, when you do that, here's the cool thing. God has a way of making sure you always get more than you ever give. And that leads to the third lesson we learned from Abe is that you can expect God to provide. Expect God to provide. In the 20, nearly 23 years that I've been blessed to be a part of this Cedar Creek Church family, one of the things that I know that I know is that within you as a church body, there is a deep desire to love God by loving others. But sometimes even our desire to do that runs into the fear of our reality that there won't be enough. If I give sacrificially, how am I going to pay my bills? If I serve with my time and energy, how am I going to have any time or energy to do the things that I need to do? And see, it's in these moments where faith gets real, where we have to simply trust God to provide just like he did for Abe. Notice verse 12 and 13. Abe's got the knife in his hands. He's about to bring it down. And then he hears the voice of an angel say, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. now I know that you fear God. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. Now I just have to tell you, it's it's a cool last minute, you know, dramatic ending. But if this really happened, and I believe that it did, it does kind of seem cruel, right? To let Abraham go all these days and get literally to the point of plunging the knife, right? Why? I think it's not because God wanted to be cruel. I think God wanted to remind Abraham and to remind all of us that faith at its heart is not just about what you believe, but it's what you believe enough to trust in. See, steps of faith, true steps of faith, are always a little bit stepping out over the cliff into the unknown when you don't know how things are going to turn out. And doing that, taking those steps of faith is not about us proving ourselves worthy of God's love. It's really about God leading us to the full and abundant life that we were created to live. And that leads to the fourth and final thing we learn from Abe is that you gotta rejoice in God's blessings. You gotta rejoice in God's blessings. Let me ask you a question. How do you think Abe felt when that ram showed up in the bush? Do you think Abe was mad? Like, oh, come on, God, really? Three-day trip, had to cut this wood, had to get all the way out here, and now, you know, we're not going to have this sacrifice? No. How do you think he felt when that ram showed up? Oh, can you imagine the joy, the tears running down his face as he lowers the knife? To God's rescue in that moment. That's what God is, pure joy. See, with God, it's not just about making things right, it's not just about evening the score. It is about God blessing us in ways we could have never imagined if we were not willing to trust Him and take that step. That's what He does for Abe, verse 16 and 17. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. I love that, God swearing to God. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And if you read the rest of that passage, which I hope you'll do, God goes on to say, through you, Abraham, and your descendants, I'm gonna bless the entire world. You know, I I know in my own life, there's so many times when what God does or doesn't do doesn't make any sense to me. Most of you know our family story. 10 years ago, you celebrated with us when God miraculously answered prayers and healed a son of ours. But you also know four years ago, God did not answer the prayers in the way that we wanted Him to. And I'm always struggling with the things God does and doesn't do. I struggle daily with the things that God could have stopped but didn't. And I have so many questions about why God does and doesn't do things. And to tell you the truth, I have so few answers. But here's what I know, that I know that I know, that in spite of what God does or doesn't do or how it makes sense to me, I know that my God is faithful and my God is good even when it doesn't make sense to me. And in those dark moments of unanswered question and confusion, I know I can grab hold of that rock and I can trust God even when it doesn't make sense. And I know that one day I'll be able to look back and know That whatever God did or didn't do in my life was somehow in some way an expression of his love towards me. And while that doesn't heal the tears all the time and while that doesn't cause me to run around and dance and sing in joy every day, it gives me enough hope to keep stepping and keep trusting him even when it doesn't make sense. Would you pray with me? I don't know what you're struggling with in your life. I don't know what you're dealing through, what difficult relationship or situation or struggle you're walking through. But I do know this, you're not here by accident today. That this event that happened thousands of years ago, God wanted you to encounter it for the first time or maybe in a fresh way to just simply say to you trust trust I am faithful I have demonstrated my love and my goodness because there was no ram when my son was sacrificed I went all the way through for you So, Father, help us experience that in whatever way is personal and needed for each of us today so that we can keep living out the love that reflects your sacrificial love through the sacrifices we're willing to make to love others. We need you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.